The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's economic climate, it's very hard to know what to do with your money. Every financial move is a choice. Sometimes they are good choices, and you will reap the rewards of success. Sometimes there are bad choices, which can leave you in financial ruin if you make too many. Welcome to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. Our program will help you to make the good choices and avoid the bad. Now, here is Gordon Bennett. Good afternoon, and how is everybody this afternoon and looking forward to a good weekend? This is Gordon Bennett, and I want to welcome you to Money, Jobs, Health, and I think I want to talk about issues of life rather than just things of life. With me this afternoon is Thomas Dahlstrom. Tom Dahlstrom has been a friend for a long time, and we're just going to free range over some ideas. Tom has uh, taught financial planning uh, for a long time, has some very good ideas about finances, and uh, let's see where this goes. Tom, let me uh, introduce you, uh, I have, and uh, let me start with uh, why should people have financial training? Well, I, I, Gordon, I think that uh, without financial training of any kind, we're, we're just prone to make bad decisions. Yes, uh, even with training, we make some bad decisions. Oh, we, oh, we do. But I think the the more training, the more education you can get, uh, the the more you can see what options are available, and also the better you can end up making better decisions because they're guided by um, the knowledge that you have about what you're getting involved in. I had a friend who was a, a fellow who was a, an accountant who taught me that there were three laws about investing. And one of the laws was get educated. He said you, you really can't do any investing if you're not willing to spend the time either yourself learning about what you're investing in or paying someone else to do the work for you. Um, when does this education start? Oh, I think it, it starts with – it should start with most families um, when the child is uh, just a few years old. Uh, I think, in fact, with our kids, we made um, – them go through the decision-making process early on. Uh, when our kids were, were very young, we asked them questions like, um, well, we, we gave them choices. Uh, one of the choices we gave them was about what they ate. Uh, what you eat will, will influence a lot of what happens to you in your life. And so we did things that we thought were age-appropriate. For our, for our children, we'd say things not like, what do you want to eat for dinner? Because the obvious choice would be... Twinkies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or ice cream or cake or all the things we probably end a meal with or maybe try to avoid at all cost. But we would say to our, our children, would you like green beans or peas for dinner? I think when you start training a child in those simple decision-making processes, you're setting a path for lifelong learning. 
for learning that there are choices in just about everything in life. You know, that, that's a really interesting uh, concept, uh, that there are choices, and, and we have an opportunity to make bad choices. But the other thing that strikes me is that habits, once formed, are very, very hard to break. Or if we want to form new habits, it's really hard to form them. It takes a long time. That's so right. if you start early in life with good habits, uh, you're less likely to have to uh, correct them in the future. Um, right. In my first book, uh, I talk about wasting money, the hole-in-the-pockets kind of a concept. Right. Uh, you talk about vegetables and choices you make in life. What are some of the choices really young kids make about money? Well, for a lot of kids, they're getting some kind of an allowance from families, from their parents, and um their parents oftentimes give them opportunities to spend that money. In addition, children uh, are becoming much more influential in the decisions that families make. You can see that as you're walking through the grocery stores or, or through the retail stores. Uh, parents are being begged by their children for a variety of products. Um, I saw an ad recently for a product where the child begged and begged and begged until the mother gave him the product, and that was being touted as a, a way to keep your child quiet. Um, and I, I form children, a bad habit. That's right. And I think children know then that if they beg long enough, they'll get it. We had a rule in our family when we were raising our kids that the moment they started begging, the answer was automatically no. That's very good. Even if even if it was something we wanted to give our children, we would say begging is not the way to get it because begging doesn't work. Well, or begging it, shouldn't work. Yeah, it shouldn't work. Uh, uh, oftentimes, I've seen uh, kids quieted in a grocery store or in a restaurant or uh, not quieted. And I'm reminded of a cartoon strip I saw years ago. It was uh, Peanuts. Right. And uh, the little boy was up in the high chair, and I think it was Charlie Brown was talking to Lucy. And there was a plate of food on the fl uh, floor. And he said, if he throws his food on the floor three times, we send him to bed without dinner. And she said, oh, that's teaching him not to throw his food in the floor. And he replied, no, that has taught him to count to three. <laughs> that's right. In fact, there was a parenting class my wife and I took many, many years ago that talked about a concept called first-time obedience. And okay. the idea was, I mean, do you, do you remember when you were growing up um, how many times it took um, your parent to, to get you to do something, maybe go to bed or, or do your homework? Um, I knew in my family that as soon as my mom started using my middle name or my full first name, my middle name, my last name together, she was serious. Yeah. Well, the problem is then the child gets to know that you're not serious until you get to a certain point. And, and this class was urging us to teach a child that the first time the parents said something was the time to, to be obedient. Yeah. So we're, we've got habits to form there. And Absolutely. the other thing that strikes me when we're talking about this, and this seems like it's a little far away from the money concept, okay. but it really isn't because it is those early habits of different kinds that we form that we carry over into our money decisions. That's right. And uh, one of the other words that I like to use is consistency. You can't do it one way one day and one way another day and a third way the next day. It's right. I think all habits have to be really consistent. And I think that's the that's the point of a habit is that once you've started doing something, well, for example, I don't like exercise all that much, but I realize that, that if I'm going to get on a good exercise regimen that should benefit my body, 
what I need to do is to make myself do it for at least two weeks. Now, I know there's research out there that talks about exactly how long it takes to form a habit. Um, I don't remember the exact number of days, but it's like two to three weeks. I really find in my life that if I don't do something consistently for two to three weeks in a row, it's easy to give it up and to, and to move back into old habits or old patterns. I That just brings to mind another thought, just a random thought. I had a woman working for me as a secretary, and she was telling me that they'd open a checking account or a savings account, I guess, and promised themselves they weren't going to take any money out of it for anything. And lo and behold, they had an emergency, so they took something out. And then there was another emergency, and they took something else out. And they repeated the same process over and over again. They'd open one, promise themselves, and then they promise themselves again. I said, you know the answer to that? (laughs) Two savings accounts. Put one account aside for emergency and put the other aside for uh, savings. In other words, you're taking money out of the emergency account, but you never right. take it out of the savings. That way you can establish a habit of not taking anything out, but you still have access to other money that you're able to use for that. That just came to mind. But there is a right. way you, you, you find to make these habits work for you. you yes, find- I think, I think it is. I think it is, it is- it is really good to work with children to develop those habits early on. I think the thing we have to remember, though, is that a lot of us have grown up without having those habits. And we shouldn't give up hope because I don't think there's any age at which we can't learn a new habit. I think so. I've been read, reading financial books. I've probably read hundreds of books on finance. Right. And every book has consisted of a, a motivation things that will happen to you if you don't read my book. And then the second thing is fundamentals, which is very, very basic, you know, how to do this or how to do that. And the rest of the book is technique. And over the years, I have developed eight fundamentals of finance. And the first one is you've got to want to change your bad habits. And I think you've got to want to change. I've got a, a stationary bicycle. I've got a treadmill. You know what? Unless I get on them, they don't work. I think now they're starting to develop those kinds of devices with built-in hangers, since many people use those to hang clothes on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? That's in, right. In money and in everything else, first we've got to make a decision to do it. So tell us some of the horror stories you've seen in uh, people's money habits, not just kids and talking about training, sure. but sure. what are some of the horror stories you've seen? Well, I've, I've been working in higher education for the past um, 30 years. And what I have found is that even people in higher education with advanced degrees will make bad money decisions. I was working with one individual um, who was uh, borrowing money on a regular basis, not only from family and friends, but now coworkers. And one of her coworkers came to me and said, we really want somebody to work with her, to just talk with her and, and see if they can, they can help her to change her habits. So I sat down with her, and, and one of my first questions was, um, What's your goal? What do, you, what do you want to achieve here? And she said, well, well my goal is that, that I want to make more money. And I said, why? And she says, well, I, I just don't have enough to live on. I said, can we take a look at the expense side of things? Because I think if we could work there, we might actually make more progress. That's going to that's gonna come a lot quicker, especially since she was already working one full-time job and one part-time job. As yes. I suggested that, I, I suggested maybe we could write down some of the ways that she was spending her money, and she just absolutely refused. She said, I don't want to know how I'm spending my money. What I want to do is have more money to spend. So when when you have that kind of attitude, there's very little 
that someone from the outside can do. I've worked with students, uh, college students, um, over the past 30 years in teaching financial planning, and one of the things that I'll always talk about is budgeting. And what students will tell me is, I don't want to have a budget. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. And it's very hard for me to convince them that a budget is their plan. Because if they don't have a plan, if they don't have an idea uh, of, of what they want to do with their money, then they're oftentimes going to find that if they kept track of how they're spending it, the biggest area will be in miscellaneous. Now, I've, yeah, never, seen mis- I've never seen miscellaneous on sale anywhere, but it seems we oftentimes spend a lot of our money on it. That's really good. Miscellaneous on sale, you know. That's right. I was in Egypt and there was a sign outside, genuine fake watches. <laughs> but they were honest anyway. You know, uh, talking about budgets, and we'll talk some more about this because I want sure. to talk about budgets a lot. But uh, budgets can be complicated or budgets can be simple. And uh, it's certainly one of my fundamentals. We lost our uh, sump pump or gar- uh, grinder pump that takes the right. sewage up to the street on a Sunday night, of course. And uh, emergency plumbing service is expensive. And I got a- acquainted with our plumber. And I tell you, I'd rather see a ambulance in the driveway than a plumbing truck. Oh, but- no. Yeah. So I started talking to him about money and he said, I got a very simple budget. This is a true story. I was amazed. Mm -hmm. He said, I get my paycheck and when I get my paycheck, I cash it and I put half of it in a savings account, which I've never touched in my whole life. I've never touched. I put half in that savings account and I put half in my pocket. And if I don't have any money in my pocket, I go without. It's that simple. That's that's a that's a strong discipline. Isn't that amazing that he's done that? He began doing he that. Half is for me and half is for the bank. Wow. And he manages to get by. I mean, if he wants a cigar, he buys a cigar. If he wants to go to a movie, he goes to a movie. But he knows that if he runs out of money, he's going to suffer. And he well, always think, has yeah. a little bit extra. Well, I think it, you learn pretty quickly, Gordon. It, it sounds like it's a habit he's had for a long time. You learn pretty quickly that... If you have the money for a week and you spend it in three days, the last four days are going to be pretty miserable. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we'll talk about uh, debit cards and credit cards and the idea of doing that. Um, we should be coming up on a break here pretty soon. Uh, according to my clock, we're going to take okay. one in about 30 seconds. Here's the music. All and right. so when we come back, let me say that you're listening to Tom Dahlstrom uh, and Gordon Blyle, Gordon Bennett, rather, and uh, Money, Jobs, and Health. That's my real last name, by the way, and other things in life. And when we come back from our break, we're going to continue talking to Tom because he is a wellspring of knowledge and wisdom. Take care, and we will talk to you after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. 
Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Good afternoon. This is Gordon Bennett again bringing you money, jobs, and health and other issues of life. I have with me Tom Dahlstrom. And let me say before we get started, be sure to call in. You may be listening to this program online or at some time other than we're broadcasting live, but you can still send us emails and we'll talk about the things you want to hear about, the things that are convoluted and confusing to you and intimidating. Uh, we love to talk about those things. We might not have any answers, but we love to talk about them. Um, you talked about goals and spending habits. One of the things that I have recommended as a technique for uh, getting control of yourself is take 30 days and account. Now, this is against most people's day-to-day routine, but for 30 days only, give yourself a sheet or a journal and keep track of every penny you spend. And if you don't think you have to do that, I ask you to first – Think about 80% of your expenditures. I'll bet you can't account for 80% of your money, more than 80% of your money, by just sitting down and recalling it. You spend money and you forget what it was for. And there are fairly large sums. We went to a financial seminar that was put on by a church up in Bethlehem. Oh, it was a couple of years ago. And uh, we went up to see what people had to say. And the, uh, the leader of the seminar did that with his uh, group, and this woman came back and reported that she identified from her keeping track of that $1,700, $1,700 that she was spending in the vending machine. Oh, my gosh. In the vending machine at work in the course of a year. Now, there's nothing immoral about no. spending $1,700, but the real question is, is that what I want to spend my money for? So it's a combination of a goal and a recognition of what you're spending things for. But what I've got to tell you, my wife is now working in a new job, and she went downstairs to get herself a Pepsi-Cola. She remembered that story, and that weekend we went out and bought a refrigerator for her office so she wouldn't spend so much money on Pepsis. That's right. It's amazing how awareness is so important to spending. You've talked about education. One of the things we have to be, do is educate ourselves about money itself, but we also have to educate uh, ourselves about what we're doing to ourselves. That's right. And now, is the real problem 
And I think you've already answered this. Is there a problem having people, they don't make enough money? No, no. In fact, um, most of us probably complain about how little money we make. But when we sit down to do our taxes, it's amazing how much money we find we made during the year. And, and you're right. We really can't account for it. Part of it's technology, Gordon. Think about it. Um, 20, 30 years ago, we weren't able to walk um, into our local grocery store, convenience store, whatever, put a card into a machine and have it spit back, spit back money to us. Right. Um, that came that came home hard to me when our when our son, who's now 30, was quite young. We were driving in our car down the road, and and he said he wanted to go out for dinner. And of course, I gave him the typical line that parents often use: "I'm sorry, we we can't do that. I don't have any money." He said, "That's okay, Dad. Just go to the bank and get some out of the machine." And he was amazed when I said, "But but son, you have to have money in the bank to get money out of the bank. It just doesn't sit there waiting for you to pick it up." But he'd never made that connection. Now, he's quite young, and so it, I, I probably shouldn't have expected that connection to be made. But how many of us as adults look at the ATM machine as a money tree? And yeah, whenever they, we need an extra dollar, 20, 60, I mean, there's no accident that the, that the ATM machines, for the most part, um, allow you to take out a large amount of money almost instantly by pressing one key. That's at my right. bank, it's $60. Well, my bank is two hundred dollars. <laughs> you just have it's 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 only more zeros. That's right. Uh, you just press a key and the money comes out. But there's an end to that, and well, and that's what most of us don't understand. Well, let me talk about that a minute. What you said led me to something else. If you had to put money in before you could take it out, you would connect the two. If you yourself had to put more money in, and that's then right. you could take it out. But what we've done. And they're very good marketing uh, techniques for these ATM machines. If you didn't put any in, the bank will lend you the money to put in. That's right. And all of a sudden, you have more money. And I was involved in the original research for credit cards. We knew from that research that if you gave people a piece of plastic to get money or things or stuff, they'd spend more than if they used cash. We just knew that. So right. one of the ways is you might leave your credit card at home and use only cash. It doesn't make you evil, but uh, the credit card makes it easier uh, to get to the money. And I in rem- fact, probably a little too easy. I remember, uh, and I'm not all that old, um, if you wanted to buy, a, let's say you wanted to buy a new refrigerator, you went down to the appliance store, you looked at all the different kinds, you looked at how much they cost, then you filled in a form that was seven copies, and it was a legal form, and you had to fill it in, and then the merchant had to submit it to the bank, and then the bank had to process it, and they had to approve it, and you've got a coupon book, and every month you sent the coupon in. You could only buy one thing with that one loan. The credit card opens the doors to all things That's right. all the time. Well, imagine, uh, again, imagine if you decided that your credit cards were causing problems, and by the way, uh, when I talk to college students about credit cards, I, I'm amazed at how many have two or three or four credit cards already, some charged way to the limit. Um, and they'll say, I, I have a problem with my credit card. What should I do to deal with credit card debt? Now, I'm not a person who's, who's against credit cards. I don't believe credit cards are bad. I do believe credit cards need control. And I believe for some people, um, they just don't have that control. So I say things like, if you want to control your credit card, number one, Get rid of all but one or two. You don't need eight, 10, 12, 15 credit cards. Right. Um, 
So one of the one of the ways I've urged them to get rid of them, and, and there are other authors who do. I don't know if we can mention names or not, but uh, oh sure, go ahead, mention names. D- Dave Ramsey, yeah, uh, wonderful does, course, wonderful course, course, and he talks about taking your credit card, um, paying it off, and then cutting it up. Now Dave, Dave believed, uh, Mr. Ramsey believes that in fact you shouldn't have any credit cards at all. I, I I don't go that far, but I've told students if you really have a credit card problem, number one, take it out of your wallet. Number two, if you want to make it hard to use. Put it in a, in a container, fill the container with water, and put it in your freezer. Yeah. That's, because yeah. then it's going to take you a little work to get the credit card out of the ice. By the way, that doesn't hurt the credit card for the most part. Yeah. Um, it's going to take you a while. And maybe by the time you're done chipping the credit card out of the ice, the immediacy of that purchase will not be as important to you anymore. Yeah. I also tell people uh, the credit card should be called what it was originally called is a charge card. Absolutely. If you need financing and credit, it's something else. If you just want to charge things for convenience sake, it's quite all right. But for credit, most of the time, you don't need that. Uh, and you shouldn't if you budget properly. Is You should live within your means. Um, and, and, and go back to earlier times. I mean, I remember uh, my parents and other folks that, that I've known of their age who basically saved the money before they went and paid cash for each item. Yeah, and they had layaway programs. That's right. In fact, they've even got some of those reinstated now. That's right. Some the, companies, some stores have brought them back. I think that's a really good idea. And uh, the other thing I do to people is I say, one of your goals ought to be uh, to list all the stuff you want to acquire. And as you look at that list of stuff that you want to acquire, go for a drive on the weekends to a garage sale. There's a whole lot of stuff out there that other people thought was essential. <laughs> And oh, it's now for sale. Well, it's here, a really here, yeah. Just just recently, in fact, uh, what I understand is the market for iPhone fours and four S's has um, really mushroomed because now with the iPhone five out, a lot of people have traded in their iPhone fours for an iPhone five, and now we're going to have a glut of iPhone fours. Whether that glut um, is going to be bought up by people who are willing to take a, a one model year old phone is yet to be seen. I've seen issues on both sides. I've seen people on both sides saying that we're either going to have too many or not enough. Uh, but my wife and I have practiced that for years. We, when we know we need um, a new large appliance, let's say a washing machine or a dryer, I have no problem going into a local store and saying, show me what's left over from last model year. Today, today, just before the show, mm-hmm. my wife stopped at Staples to get some supplies, and she picked me up where I was exercising down at the Y, and she said, I just bought a chair. I said, we need a chair? Well, she needs a chair because she's had back surgery, and she's been looking for a chair to replace the one in her office. And she said, but I found a chair. Now, she has postponed this decision for a long time. She bought a chair at Staples for $50. It was originally $370. That's right. And And was the the chair that much different than the new ones that were sitting there for $370? No, it's the one she's been looking for all along. (laughs) <laughs> she bought the chair she wanted. She That's just right. took her time and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and got a good deal finally. And well, she feels real good about it. <laughs> in fact, um, that's one of the principles that I think is important is delayed gratification. I mean, we live in a society where everything's instant. There's instant coffee. There's instant cocoa. There's instant meals. Um, if you wait in the in the uh, drive through line at a fast food restaurant and you're waiting more than 90 seconds, you're... you're uh, tapping your feet and you're thinking of honking the horn. Why? Because we're all used to getting everything we want as soon as we want it. 
yet there's some value, a lot of value, to thinking about, what if I waited on this? Let's put it on the back burner. What I found oftentimes is one of several things happens. Number one, either the item that I wanted to purchase, I no longer want to purchase two or three micro, uh, weeks or, or, or even months down the road because it's not as important to me as something else. Yeah, number I think... Two, yeah, number two, I, I often find that the, anything I want, almost anything, goes on sale at some time. That's right. Or you change your values and you buy something exactly. else. Exactly. You give exactly. it up. So... Or I, uh, I, I take the time to do the research and find out that whatever I thought I wanted really doesn't have a good reputation, and I'm glad I didn't buy it. Yeah, it's a, that's a late gratification. I think it's a habit to form. That is, uh, go to the other end of the mall or tell the girl to hold of the counter and you'll come back for her. Do anything you can right. to interrupt the buying procedure and the impulse to buy. Have the credit card at home like you suggested. Yeah. And so um, making, yeah, making that list is a, is a great idea. I remember I, I, a friend of mine invited me to a, um, one of the fitness centers in our area. And I went in, and, and, of course, in order for me to be a guest at the fitness center, I had to agree to sit down and listen to a, a 30 to 45-minute presentation. At the end of the presentation, the fellow asked me if I wanted to buy a membership. Now, the membership was um, at least several months' salary for me. And I said, well, I'm going to have to think about that. But I'm also going to have to talk to my wife. And he said, you have to talk to your wife? Why? I said, well, we've agreed when we got married 30-some years ago that we're going to always um, talk to each other before we buy anything over a certain amount. At that point in our life, it was over $50. That's a great idea. I think that's we're right. going to have to take a short break now. I, want right. to hate, I hate to interrupt you because that's no a great story. But you're listening to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. I'm your host, Gordon Bennett. We have with us... Tom Dahlstrom, and we're going to be back after a short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program of Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. And this is your host, Gordon Bennett, with my guest, Tom Dahlstrom. And I want to thank you a lot, Tom, for sharing with us the wisdom of your ways and uh, what some people can do that are very, very simple things to stay out of trouble in life with money. I mean, after all, when, right. uh, one of the things I talk a lot about is goals because people, they argue about money, but they really are arguing about values. Sit down and make some goals for yourself and the things you want to acquire, the experiences you want to have, and the wealth you want to get, and the money follows. So it's really not that difficult. And I like the way you started. The first thing you said is get educated. I'm right. re- that is really a big thing. Let me talk about the budget a minute. All right. uh, I've been teaching a class, as you know, uh, and I'm writing a class uh, for several thousand employees. It's being videotaped. And in the studying of the material for that uh, course, I have broken down into three categories, kinds of expenses that you have, kinds of expenses. And I make a pie chart. One kind of expense is mandatory. You better pay this bill or you're going somewhere you don't want to go. You have to pay your mortgage. If you have a car loan, you have to pay your car loan. If you have a student loan, you have to pay it. But they are mandatory expenses. In between, you have what I call... uh, Sort of discretionary, sort of mandatory, sort of a can-do kind of a thing. And that is like the utility bill. You can turn the air conditioner down. You can make fewer phone calls. You don't have right. to have a new cell phone. Uh, you don't have to buy fancy groceries. Well, uh, we all have to eat. Sure. We have to eat, but we don't have to eat uh, uh, top sirloin every night. We can right. ha- use hamburger helper. Right. And then the final category is the category I call discretionary. And the objective is to make as little as possible in the red zone, which I have labeled the mandatory, and to have as maximum in the green zone of discretionary. And the reason is way it's very visible. You can see that you've got way too much in mandatory and way too little in discretionary. Something is going to happen to you in life. A year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Right. And then I had a stroke. And then my mother-in-law died. And we have a friend at church whose uh, uh, the wife died. No, the husband died and left right. his wife without life insurance and three kids. Wow. Something is going to happen to you. And the smaller the must-cover expenses, the better choices you have in dealing with crisis. And the more flexibility you have, too. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I, I, what I see is that... Oftentimes people think of a lot of their discretionary expenses as mandatory. For example, people will say, well, I have a car payment and I have to pay the bank or I lose the car. And my thought for them is that's true, but that doesn't prevent you from selling the car and buying something that's more within um, the needs that you have. Reduce your payment in some way. If you can, buy the car for cash. If you can't, which is difficult for most people today, um, then, then buy a car on credit 
but don't buy more car than you really need. There's no need to, to have the, the, the fancy car, the expensive car, uh, the car that uses a lot of gas. I mean, look at total cost of ownership. So you're right. Keeping as much as you can out of the mandatory area is really a good strategy because then that allows you the flexibility to move quickly, to make decisions that other people just can't make because they're too caught up in, in paying all these mandatory bills. And what might happen uh, if you've got a lot of mandatory is a full-blown crisis becomes a mere inconvenience if you have a lot of discretionary expenses. Exactly. I mean, it so changes, yep. changes the character of your, uh, your things. Uh, I've heard it said that an automobile, two things out come to mind in automobiles. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been said that an automobile serves two purposes. It gets you there and it shows you've gotten there. <laughs> and, and the, gets, it shows you've gotten there oftentimes takes precedence over the getting there. Yeah. Uh, I've had my, uh, mother's and, or my stepmother's, uh, stockbroker say, see those, uh, Mercedes across the street at the bank? They're borrowing money. See the funds and pickup trucks out front? They're putting it in here. It's right. what you do with your various money. Uh, you know, probably that my wife and I have had two 10 year old cars and we decided that one of them was kind of a sports car and it kept getting closer and closer to the ground as I got older and older. That's right. And we decided to trade it in. And the first thing we did is we took uh, the car down to the same kind of a dealer and uh, see what we could get for it. And then we delayed gratification. We said, what is the difference between what we're trading in and buying a new one or a used one? And so then we came home and discussed whether we wanted to spend that kind of money. That's right. The salesman, meanwhile, is trying to get us to finance a more, a more expensive car. And we finally ended up buying a two-year-old used car that was on this certified used car plan right. and wrote a check for it. And the guy didn't want to take our check. Nope. But we said, no, we don't want to make car payments. That's right. We don't want the choices in the future to be such that we have to worry about the car. Yeah, you're more constrained. You're more limited if you put yourself in the debt of others. Yeah. I have a, uh, I had, I guess, uh, my daughter's ex-husband is an ex-son-in-law. He was big on watches and he would sit around and show people what his watch cost them. You know, it still tells time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's the same fun... as a ten dollar Timex. That's right. And in fact, a ten dollar Timex is more accurate than an old one. Hey, let me run down the list of ten or eight fundamentals that I have All right. and let you comment on them. All right. I've decided to boil things down to eight fundamentals. Uh and I'm willing to change those fundamentals. The first thing you gotta want to do it. We've already talked about that. Exactly. You agree that that makes sense. You d- yes. The second one is educate yourself. And that was how you opened your comments. I think right. those are wonderful. The third one is you have to have goals. If you don't have goals, any place will do. That's right. That's so, right. And I think your goals, as you said, have to re- have to reflect your values. Uh, let me just jump in with the, the idea that we've talked about cars and we've said, well, it's basic transportation. For some people, it needs to be more than basic transportation because that's where their values are. But if your if your goals don't line up with your values, you're going to have a lot of inconsistency and unhappiness in your life. We I have a friend, our landscaper, who has been asked by his stepfather to please not drive his pickup truck to their house because the neighbors will think poorly of their kind of friends. That's really sad. Isn't that sad? Yes, that it is. value. He wants his guests to have the right kind of car. Uh, you've got to get over thinking that the stuff you acquire measures you. 
it doesn't measure you at all. Absolutely. That's where goals really help is to get out of the emotional attachment to things. I like mechanical things. I like nice things, but I'm not obsessed by them. And that's where it helps you when you're going to make a decision where you look back and you reflect on your values and say, does this promote my values or does this go against my values? That can really help you to make a wise decision. That's very true. Now, the next uh, thing is pay yourself first. George Klassen wrote a book in 1926 called The Richest Man in Babylon. That's where I got that idea. Pay yourself first, he said. You work, you spend your life, your education, you learn to work, you should pay yourself first. And I, and I think that that's where a lot of people come up with, with a really good plan. Uh, Dave Ramsey calls it his 10-10-80 plan, where he talks about, um, uh, as, as faith-based people, you and I might agree with, with Dave on this, uh, the first thing you do is you put 10% into um, your, your, your faith system, in our case, our church, uh, or the mission work that we support. And then the next 10% goes directly to you, and you learn to live on the other 80%. Yeah. Jenkins, uh, with, I think he was with the chief financial editor of Yahoo, had a 60, 10, 10, 10, 10 position, which is very much the same thing. Okay. You, you live on a certain point, 10% for fun, 10% for retirement, right. 10% for yourself. But the idea is a, a budget doesn't have to be very difficult, but you have to pay yourself first. And because one practice, if you yeah. wait till but- the end of the month, you're out of money. One practical way to do that that even one of my employees uh, uses now is the envelope system where where, when they get the paycheck, she uh, takes the money from the paycheck and divides it up into the envelope. And There's an envelope for fun. There's an envelope for for food. There's an envelope for other activities um, for their discretionary funds. And she says when she gets to the bottom of the envelope for fun and it's empty, the fun fun (laughs) becomes free. And there's a lot of free fun out there. When my wife and I were, were first married, one of the things that we did on a regular basis was go out to Valley Forge Park or, or, or do things that are free. And there's a lot of free things out there. Yeah, no, that's a really good idea. Or do something for somebody else. Volunteer. Exactly. I mean, there are a lot of things to do. I had this class, uh, oh, several months ago, but I, one of the things I do in the class is I open, I pass out an envelope and I say, reach in your pocket and take 10% of what's in your pocket out and put it in the envelope right now. And bring it back next week, not spent. Everybody in the class was able to do that. Absolutely. So I got rid of the idea that they can, uh, you know. That you uh, can't. You can't do it. You've got to be able to pay yourself first. And if you don't pay yourself first, by the way, if you break any of these habits, if you break any of these habits, it's like having a flat tire. They've all got to be in place all the time. Right. And you've got to fix the ones that are broken. So paying yourself first is one of those. The second, next one. And I'll do one more and I uh, will take okay. a break here is live within your means. And I think we've talked about that. What kind of a car do you have? What kind of a house do you have? Uh, what do you pay cash for? What do they stay out of debt? If people Absolutely. don't live within their means, they've either got to make more money or spend less. There ain't any choices. Absolutely. And there are resources and resources and resources on the internet and talk to people and sales and coupons. You can live within your means. But again, based on your values. That's, that's a right. Great point. I, I really like that values concept. That's, yeah, that's what goals are all about. Right. Okay, we've got another break coming up. Boy, these time sure fly by. It does. Uh, I hope this has been useful to our listeners. And you're listening to Gordon Bennett at Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things in Life. I am your host, and we have with us Tom Dahlstrom. And we're going to be back for a final segment after 
this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Rivez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune into Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Good afternoon. This is Gordon Bennett here with my guest, Tom Dahlstrom, talking about money, jobs, health, and other things in life. Actually, we've been talking more about money than anything else or the misuse of money or saving money. And uh, we're here we are in the last segment of the hour. Uh, there are a couple of things I want to cover because we don't have as much time as I thought. Uh, the next fundamental I want to talk about is get out of debt. Is that worthwhile? Absolutely. I, I think that what we find is that debt is one of those things that limits people from following their values, following their heart, their dreams. I was just reading an article the other day that the average student, and we're talking college student, debt is over $25,000 at this point. In this last year, it's it's become more burdensome than credit card debt. Um, and, and, and people are saying, but we need to go to school. I need to get a good education. My concern is that when you choose to go to school, if you don't look at what it's going to cost you up front, you can easily convince yourself that borrowing the money now will pay off in the long run, but then you graduate and you don't have a job. I have a number of students out there right now looking for work, don't have jobs, have forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 worth of debt. It's going to take them years to get out of debt. 
Yeah, and then they think that somebody else is going to do it for them. They aren't was, prepared for the shock of how yeah. long it's going to take. It took them 10 years to get in debt, and it may take them 10 years to get out. Or at least, if not more, and and some states, Wisconsin uh, recently, um, the governor of Wisconsin is urging one of the for-profit colleges to repay the students' debt for the students who, who graduated from them and didn't get jobs. And I, and I have to ask the question, which a lot of people did on the, on the comments for this article, um, and they said, wait, why should the government step in and rescue people who've made the decision? These are adults. We're not talking about um, 12-year-old kids. We're not talking about 15-year-olds. We're talking about people that were of the age of consent who've made a bad decision. They've, made a, yeah. they've made a choice. They've made a choice, and that choice has consequences. And what we need to do is we probably need to put in place some kind of, of stronger limits for how much a student can borrow to get through. Uh, there's a lot of problems with the, the higher education market today. Um, education is very expensive, but I really believe people need to ask themselves the question, is this a wise decision? How long will it take me to pay this back? Is this reasonable with the job that I think I'm going to be able to get? Yeah, and let me tell you about, uh, I call it the, well, Dave Ramsey calls it the snowballing technique. Well, I, we can talk conceptually about debt and being in good debt and bad debt and right. all that, and I think all debt is bad. First of all, it is a psychologically relieving thing when you don't owe anybody anything. I've talked about uh, discretionary income, how little you can live on if, if everything is discretionary. But Ramsey has a technique that I think is very good, and it's called snowballing. You list all of the debts you have, the biggest one to the smallest one. Now, there are two schools of thought in this, right. and I'm of his school of thought. Let's put the smallest one on the bottom. Forget about the interest rate, and we could talk about that some other time. Right. There are times when maybe you want to get your rates down and use some other form, not to extend your debt or get more debt, but to get the rates better. But if you do that, you list the smallest ones on the bottom, and you crunch your budget and get as much discretionary money as you can get and put that toward the lowest amount. And as soon as it's paid out, you take the, you pay the minimum on everything else and you take the smallest one, pay it off. And then you take the next smallest one and pay it off. And pretty soon the psychological advantage of paying them off really works for you. And that's I right. think that's a great, great system. And, uh, it makes you see success right away. And, that's right. Uh, I recommend that people do that. That's right. Yeah, and the other school of thought, as you mentioned, is <laughs> take the one with the highest interest rate and pay that one off first to get the burden of that off. The problem, of course, is if that's your largest amount of debt, it could become very discouraging um, months, just several months into the plan when you see you're not making much of a dent on that one. Yeah, it's, that's right. And uh, that's why I like the uh, – but set up a strategy of some kind – and then maybe you reward yourself by going to a movie or having an extra dinner out or a little extra dollar in your fun account at benchmarks along the way. Don't be uh, so frugal that you're miserable, but be frugal enough that you get out of debt and have the enjoyment of that. And recognize that as soon as you're out of debt, the freedom that comes with that to do almost anything you want to do is huge. It really is. Um, my wife put an office in our house recently. And we went down and we were able to buy a rug uh, six months, same as cash. And when the bill came, it said, if you pay only the minimum, you will be paid off in 31 years. Yeah, yeah. 31 years for a rug. The rug would be worn out. Oh, absolutely. It's gone. <laughs> it's, but, but, 
But we've also taken advantage of those programs where it says six months, same as, as cash, and said, okay, what's the total amount? Let's say the total amount is $600. Great. I'm going to pay $100 a month. It's the same as paying cash. I have no no interest on that money, and it's paid off. The key, though, is to make sure you get that paid off in that six months. Yeah. And uh, the last two are uh, on the uh, fundamentals list are right. invest, invest for the future, and that's the subject of a whole other program. You Most know. books in finance are about investing money and predicting the future. It's how to read tea leaves. Uh, and how expert I am at reading tea leaves and why I'm better at reading somebody else's tea leaves. And so we'll let investing for the future go, and you should get a certified financial planner just like you uh, paid for your college education. Uh, you should pay for a professional to help you sort out all the pieces there. And, and, and again, the, the key there is find someone who doesn't sell the product. Oh, absolutely. But rather, but rather gives you the advice and allows you to choose who you're going to buy from. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, back to the education thing that you mentioned, certified financial planners don't get a commission, but some of them have a bias. They will be biased, say, to mutual funds or certain sectors or something. So by educating yourself, you really get a better benefit from the planner. Absolutely. And they will also talk about things like wills and estates and all the other things. And you shouldn't wait till you're old. You should wait... uh, Till this afternoon and rush to the financial planner. The last thing I put on my list of fundamentals, and this is really important, and it's just come to be, protect your assets. The Pelican Flats fires in California when I was living there, a house burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. And the firefighter said, of course, you had insurance on it, didn't you? And the guy said, no. And he said, why not? He said, I've never needed it before. <laughs> Well, and that's a, yeah, but that's what's really funny, Gordon, is I, I've taught, like I said, I've taught college students. Uh, I'm at Eastern University. I've taught there for 30 years. Every time we got to the insurance part, I'd say, and most of you who are renting apartments off campus need to make sure you have renter's insurance. They say, well, no, we don't. We don't have anything. So one of my exercises was that I would get a, a, a form that I'd made up based on a, on a booklet from an insurance company that just said, list all your assets. And it amazed the students when they came back in. There was never a student with less than about $10,000 worth of assets, and most of them were in the fifteen dollars to $20,000 range when they took into account their computers, their electronics, their sports equipment. And the other thing is the harm that they can do accidentally to somebody else is a liability they don't That's even right. know they have. So that could catch them by surprise. We just had a friend who needed renter's insurance. By the way, did you know that you can buy wedding insurance? It doesn't surprise me. You can buy wedding insurance. I was talking to an insurance broker just this a couple of weeks ago, and I learned that you could have wedding insurance. And at the same time, I had guests in my house, and his best friend had just lost $30,000 because a groom backed out at the last minute. Right. Or, or and, whether ruins that outdoor wedding or the, mm-hmm. the tra- destination wedding got canceled because of travel uh, inconveniences. Yeah. And your, your most valuable asset. The most valuable asset you have, and you should talk to a professional about this. I'm not selling anything, but it's the ability to work. If you you can't work, you're in big trouble. We have a mutual friend at at church whose husband died, left her with three kids and no insurance, and she lost her job. Absolutely. And she is in sad shape. So, Tom, I hear the music in the background. That's kind of a cue for us to wrap it up and uh, we'll end the day. This hour has gone very fast. Uh, I encourage everybody to call in. 
uh, or write in and we'll answer your questions. I have a book out called Give Yourself a Raise, How to Have More Money, Less Stress, and Financial Freedom. It can be purchased on Amazon or you can go to my website uh, and that's listed, uh, well, it's uh, PTFF, Path to Financial Freedom.net and you can buy it there. And uh, meanwhile, good luck to everybody and thank you for listening. This is Gordon Bennett signing off and uh, see you next week at the same time. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for listening to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. Please join your host, Gordon Bennett, again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, are you going to make a bad choice or a great choice with your money? Come back next week for more.